the old pilot's plain tales, the Luftwaffe pilot and the old pub. Two pilots from the Second World War meet and drink beers, recounting war stories. It wasn't an unusual thing in years gone by, although nowadays those veterans are sadly becoming thin on the ground. These two pilots flew together in the war, but not as you might think. I've spoken disparagingly in the past about the Nazi regime, but of course, nothing is pure black and white. There were heartless combatants on both sides, but there were also good people. And this is one of those heart-lifting acts of compassion that came as an unexpected gift to a crew in the most desperate of situations. Second Lieutenant Charles Brown was a farm boy from Weston in West Virginia who enlisted during the war and trained as a pilot. He qualified as an aircraft commander and on the 20th of December 1943, he and his rookie crew were flying their very first mission with the 379th Bomber Group of the 8th Air Force, stationed at RAF Kimbleton in Cambridgeshire. The airfield was near the ancient village of the same name that is home to many old pubs like the George, the Wheat Sheaf and the Mermaid, some of which have stood since the 14th century. If you are ever out that way and drive the B road between Kimbleton and Stowe Longer, you will cross over the remains of the main runway that Charlie Brown took off from on that day. He was flying a B-17F Flying Fortress, which was named Ye Olde Pub. I suspect because of the crew's habit of visiting the local hostelries in their downtime. Charlie Brown was a youngster of 21, and conscious of his youth, he had told his crew that he was 25, but regardless, he was a good and conscientious commander who wanted to do his best for his men. The mission that they were engaged on that day was a notoriously difficult one, they were tasked with bombing the Focke-Wulf 190 aircraft factory at Bremen. Their pre-flight briefing reminded them to be vigilant as they might encounter dozens of German fighters and Bremen was surrounded by 250 accurate flat guns. Ioldi Pub was given a formation position nicknamed Purple Heart Corner a spot on the edge of the formation that was considered particularly vulnerable since the fighters often engaged the edges rather than risking going through the middle of a bomber formation. Running in towards the target at 27,000 feet and in strict formation, so unable to jink or manoeuvre to avoid either the fighters or the flak, the luck ran out for Charlie Brown and his crew. Anti-aircraft shells hit Ye Olde Pub, shattering the plexiglass nose, destroying their number two engine and damaging the number four, which Charlie had to throttle back to prevent from overspeeding. Unable to keep up with his formation and be protected by the arcs of supporting fire from adjacent aircraft, Ye Olde Pub suffered repeated fighter attacks. 
again and again, over a dozen Messerschmitt Me-109s and Focke-Wulf 190s fired at Charlie's aircraft. 20mm cannon shells and 13mm machine gun bullets raking the bomber, and it was testament to the B-17's strength, armour plating and firepower that they were able to continue with their bomb run. The young aircraft commander lined up his aircraft and they finally released their bomb load down onto the target. But with the attacks continuing, things were getting desperate. The number three engine was also damaged and would only produce around half power. The crew oxygen system was gone and both the hydraulic and electric systems damaged. Half of the rudder had been shot away, as was the left elevator and most of the tailplane on that side. With the nose cone gone, a bitterly cold gale of air was blowing through the aircraft at minus 60 degrees centigrade. Most of the guns had frozen up and jammed, and many of the crew were wounded. The tail gunner, Ekiekon Road, had been decapitated by a direct hit from a cannon shell. A Russian Yelisenko, the waist gunner, was critically wounded in the leg, which would eventually need amputation. Blackie Blackford, the ball turret gunner's feet, were frozen when his heated suit short-circuited, and Dick Peachout, the radio operator, had been hit in the eye by a cannon shell. Charlie Brown himself had also joined the list of wounded when he was struck in the shoulder. Their morphine supply had frozen and was useless. The radio and intercom systems were wrecked and the aircraft, with only one engine providing full power, was peppered with holes and very badly damaged. However, throughout this short and vicious air battle, the gunners brought down one enemy fighter and damaged two others before, by a combination of lack of oxygen and the damage to the aircraft, Charlie lost control. Ye olde pub turned onto its back and plummeted towards the ground. Circling down in a death spiral, the entire crew lost consciousness. Miraculously, Charlie Brown came round, and with barely enough height left, he pulled the cripple aircraft out of the dive and recovered. There was another pilot in the air at that time. He was an ace Luftwaffe fighter pilot with 27 victories who had flown over 400 combat missions. Ludwig Franz Stigler was the younger of two sons who grew up in a Catholic family. His father had flown in the First World War and with another veteran pilot who was then the local priest, he helped set up a gliding school. Franz got his first chance to become a pilot, but his mother wanted him to train as a priest. However, after being caught with the local brewmaster's daughter, it became clear that the world of aviation was his true calling. Stigler earned a degree in aeronautical engineering and then became an airline pilot for Lufthansa before training for the military. His family were vocally opposed to the rise of Hitler. Indeed, at one point, Franz was interviewed by the Gestapo, but soon the country was at war, and Franz did his duty. 
He flew with some of the best fighter pilots that Germany ever produced. Adolf Galland and Gustav Rodel, who once told him, You are fighter pilots, first, last, always. If I ever hear of any of you shooting at someone in a parachute, I'll shoot you myself. Back in control of the crippled B-17, Charlie Brown recalled, I either spiralled or spun and came out of the spin just above the ground. My only conscious memory was of dodging trees, but I had nightmares for years and years about dodging buildings and then trees. I think the Germans thought that we had spun in and crashed. The oldie pub was staggering on at 1,000 feet when Franz Stigler, in his sleek ME109, spotted him. Stigler needed just one more kill to win his Knight's Cross, so he closed on the lone bomber. However, through the damaged bomber's airframe, Stigler was able to see the injured men. The rear guns hung down and he had a clear view of the bloody tail gunner's body as he moved up. He told interviewers in 1991 that he was aghast at the amount of damage the bomber had sustained. Its nose cone was missing. It had gaping holes in the fuselage. He could see crew members giving first aid to the wounded, and most of the plane's guns hung limp, unmanned. Stigler was a man of honour who once said, You follow the rules of war for you not your enemy. You fight by rules to keep your humanity. Staying in formation with the bomber and convinced the aircraft would never make it back to England, I saw his gunner lying in the back profusely bleeding so I couldn't shoot. I tried to get him to land in Germany and he didn't react at all. So I figured, well, turn him to Sweden because his airplane was so shot up. I never saw anything flying so shot up. A bewildered Brown stared back through his side window, not believing what he was seeing. He had already counted himself as a casualty numerous times, but this strange German pilot kept gesturing at him. There was no way he was going to land the plane, but the pilot stayed with him, until they reached the North Sea. When it was clear that Brown wasn't staying in Germany, Stigler saluted, peeled off, and flew out of Ye Olde Pub's nightmarish day. How Charlie Brown managed to fly the 250 miles across the North Sea and land his plane at RAF Seething, home of the 448th Bomb Group, Nobody knew, but he did a magnificent job. As his citation for the Air Force Cross says, displaying the coolness, courage and airmanship of more senior pilots, he boldly rejected the enemy fighters' attempts at forced landing and directed the struggling aircraft to the North Sea. Whilst attempting this improbable, treacherous return to home station, Lieutenant Brown's command and control was instrumental to the remaining crew's survival. 
While in the cockpit, he provided the essential engine control, fuel management and piloting skills necessary to the cockpit team during their hazardous yet miraculous return of the aircraft's perilous crossing of the North Sea back to home station in England. Through his extraordinary heroism, superb airmanship and aggressiveness in the face of the enemy, Lieutenant Brown reflected the highest credit upon himself and the United States Army Air Corps. At the after-flight debriefing, Charlie Brown and his crew were told not to repeat this to the rest of the unit so as not to build up any positive feelings towards enemy pilots. Brown commented, Someone decided you can't be human and be flying in a German cockpit. Stiegler said nothing of the incident to his commanding officers, knowing that a German pilot who spared the enemy while in combat risked execution. And so you think the story might end. But not so. Charlie flew a total of 29 missions before being offered a position in the Department of State. He served his country as a foreign service officer and as a diplomat before founding an environmental research centre and being named the National Inventor of the Year in 1987. About this time, he started thinking about that fateful day in 1943. He started having nightmares, but in his dream, there would be no act of mercy. He would awaken just before his bomber crashed. Brown took on a new mission. He tried to find that German pilot whose code of honour had allowed him to live that day. He scoured military archives in the US and England. He attended pilots' reunions and shared his story. He finally placed an ad in a German newsletter for former Luftwaffe pilots, retelling the story and asking if anyone knew the pilot. He had to find that German. Who was he? Why did he save my life? On the 18th of January 1990, Brown received a letter. He opened it and read, Dear Charles, all these years I wondered what happened to that B-17. Did she make it home? Did her crew survive their wounds? To hear of your survival has filled me with indescribable joy. It was Stigler. Brown wrote in reply, to say thank you on behalf of my surviving crew members and their families appears totally inadequate. Stigler had survived the war, ending up as an ME262 jet pilot, but afterwards he found life in Germany difficult. He moved to Canada and worked as an engineer for many years, eventually buying an old ME108 which he painted in his old Jagdschwader markings and flew at air shows as the bad guy. Both pilots, now retired, were living in North America, and when they met, they hugged and wept and laughed about their encounter, but the deep emotion of the event was never far below the surface. Stigler had lost his brother, his friends and his country. 
He was virtually exiled by his countrymen after the war. There were 28,000 pilots who fought for the German Air Force. Only 1,200 survived. The war cost him everything. Charlie Brown was the only good thing to come out of World War II for Franz. It was the one thing he could be proud of. The meeting helped Brown as well, says his oldest daughter, Dawn. Brown and Stigler became close friends. They shared fishing trips together. They would fly cross-country to each other's homes and take road trips together to share their story at schools and veterans' reunions. Brown's daughter says her father would worry about Stiegler's health and constantly check in on him. It wasn't just for show, she says. They really did feel for each other. They talked about once a week. As his friendship with Stigler deepened, something else happened to her father, Dawn says. The nightmares went away. The two men remained close until they passed away within months of each other in 2008. After Charlie Brown's death, the family found a book given to him by Stigler. Inside was an inscription. In 1940, I lost my only brother as a night fighter. On the 20th of December, four days before Christmas, I had the chance to save a B-17 from her destruction, her plane so badly damaged, it was a wonder that she was still flying. The pilot, Charlie Brown, is for me as precious as my brother was. Thanks, Charlie. Your brother, Franz. Plane Tales is a featured segment of the Airline Pilot Guy Show Aviation Podcast. Find us at AirlinePilotGuy.com.